Hi, this is John, by the way, and today in Come Follow Me, I'm looking at a couple of the most important chapters about the life of Savior and the end of his life, and that is the lesson that covers Luke 22 and John 18. One of the things that is unique about Luke 22 is that it speaks of the Savior's suffering in such a way that it says in verse 44, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, when you read that slowly, it sounds like Luke was saying that the sweat that came down from the ground was like blood. But the JST says, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. We also learn from a couple of other sources, from Doctrine and Covenants section 19 and from King Benjamin's speech in Mosiah in the Book of Mormon, that he actually bled from every pore. In section 19 of the Doctrine and Covenants, it says in verse 18, which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore. Only Luke mentions this, but we have these other two sources that mention it. And what we appreciate about section 19 is this is the Lord's first person account of what happened there. And this idea of Gethsemane, I wanted to talk about for a minute because I think we all know that Gethsemane means olive press. And when you start looking at some of the verses that lead up to this, they use some interesting phrases. For example, Matthew 26, 37 says, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Mark 14, 33, sore amazed and very heavy. This idea of the weight of the world pressing upon him. And we use that expression too. There's something weighing on my mind. Well, imagine the weight that he had to bear. In Andrew Skinner's book, Gethsemane, that I quoted before on my mini little podcast here, he tells the story of having a group of students at the BYU Jerusalem Center. And this is what Brother Skinner wrote. One fall semester, I supervised the students at the BYU Jerusalem Center as they participated in their own olive harvest and pressing activity. The olives were placed in the yam or rock basin, and the crushing stone was pushed around and around the basin until the olives began to ooze their oil. When the oil began to run down the lip of the limestone basin, it had the distinctive red color characteristic of the first moments of the new pressing each year. At that instant, an audible gasp came from the 170 students who surrounded the olive press to witness our recreation of the ancient pressing process. It was a stunning, even chilling minute until the oil turned back to its usual golden color. I believe everyone in that group had the same thought as we watched this happen. It was more than just an amazing confirmation of the symbolism we had discussed. This was, right before our very eyes, a real-life reflection of Gethsemane. The press, the weight pressed upon the Savior to the point that he bled at every pore. One of the things that I've often thought about was you know, the reasons why we do things, sometimes it might be out of duty or of obligation, 
a fear of a penalty. I mean, all sorts of reasons why we do things. And I think the Savior, thankfully, back in section 19 of the Doctrine and Covenants, gives us a reason. And it's very short, but I love that this is in there because I've often wondered, as they were treating him so horribly, the scourging, all those other horrible things that happened to him, what got him through it? And I think maybe this may be part of the answer in section 19, verse 16. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. It sounds like he preferred suffering himself than to seeing us suffer. I have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer. Which is the highest motive out of his love for us. And those of you listening who have children, when you have a sick child, especially when they're young and can't understand what's happening and you can't explain it to them, we all know how quickly we would trade places with them. When they're sick, when they're injured, when they're hurting in some way, we would love to swap with them because we feel older, better able to understand it or whatever, and mostly just because we love them. We don't want to see them hurt and suffer. So I love that, those four words that they might not suffer. He suffered that we might not suffer. But there's a condition. If they would repent, if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Reminds me of a elder Henry B. Eyring talk back when he was Elder Henry B. Eyring, where he said, somehow I'd gotten in my mind the choice was between repenting or not repenting, but that's not the choice. The choice is repent or suffer. That was super motivating because <laughs> we can get in a procrastination mode. Repent or should I repent or not? No, the choice is repent or suffering or suffer, which suffering Jesus continued, caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit. Whoa, that's, that's intense. And that's what's covered in Luke 22. For me, it's inspiring to know what happened, but more inspiring to know why. He preferred suffering himself than to see us suffer. Elder Tad A. Collister wrote a book called The Infinite Atonement, and he tried to, to describe the weight that Jesus must have felt. What weight is thrown on the scales of pain when calculating the hurt of innumerable patients in countless hospitals? Now add to that the loneliness of the elderly who are forgotten in the rest homes of society, desperately yearning for a car to visit a call just some recognition from the outside world. Keep on adding the hurt of hungry children, the suffering caused by famine, drought, and pestilence. Pile on the heartache of parents who tearfully plead on a daily basis for a wayward son or daughter to come back home. Factor in the trauma of every divorce and the tragedy of every abortion. Add the remorse that comes with each child lost in the dawn of life, each spouse taken in the prime of marriage. Compound that with the misery of overflowing prisons, bulging halfway houses, and institutions for the mentally disadvantaged. Multiply all this by century after century of history, and creation after creation without end. 
such as but an awful glimpse of the Savior's load. Who can bear such a burden or scale such a mountain as this? No one, absolutely no one, save Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of us all. Brother Stephen Robinson, who wrote that classic book, Believing Christ, in 1992, he, he said this, If you or I had gone into the press of Gethsemane and shouldered that load of sin and pain, it would have squashed us like bugs, snuffed us out instantly. But because he was the Son of God and had power over death, his life could not be taken until he had laid it down of his own will. That's such an important point. They didn't really kill Jesus. He gave his life as a willing sacrifice. And he even said that, No man taketh my life from me. So he was able to bear a weight and a burden that would have killed us. Now going on to John chapter 18, which is also part of this lesson plan, I'm just intrigued by something that Pilate said. When Jesus said in John 18, 37, I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate saith unto him, verse 38, What is truth? And I would love to hear the tone of voice. I wonder if it's kind of a, (laughs) what is truth? He's heard a hundred Greek philosophers. He's heard every theory, probably. What is truth? I think that question is kind of, yeah, well, it seems to be a moving target. And it seems to be that way in our day, too. What is truth? Well, we have some, some help, some wonderful definitions of truth. In section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenants, truth is a knowledge of things as they are and as they were and as they are to come. I've always loved that verse. Truth is a knowledge of things as they are right now, as they were in the past, and as they are to come. There's another verse that I love too, and that's in the Book of Mormon in Jacob. Jacob chapter 4. And he adds one extra word to that kind of explanation. Knowledge of things as they are and as they were and as they are to come. There is so much error out there today. In fact, I like to tell my students, if any of you lack information, ask of Google. Google will tell you something. Alexa will tell you something. Siri will tell you something. Perhaps one of the most important questions I joke is where's the nearest Five Guys Burgers and Fries? And it'll tell you something. But if any of you lack wisdom, that is a different question. And I think knowing the truth becomes more a part of wisdom than just knowledge. Some things are true, like 2 plus 2 is 4. Even that gets debated these days, it sounds like. But what do, we, what do we do when the whole world is swirling around with truth and error? And there's some truth and there's some error and there's some things that are right and some things that are philosophies of men mingled with Scripture and there's so much out there. It reminds me of a time when I went to bowling, and I tell this story a lot, forgive me, as a 17-year-old, and the little number one at the end of the bowling lane that signified first ball looked like an 11. And for the first time in my life, I realized that I had astigmatism. My, my vision wasn't perfect. And that was heartbreaking for me because I wanted to be a fighter pilot, and it's a long story. But I didn't have 20-20 vision, 
I had astigmatism, which means my vision was distorted at every distance. And I remember getting my glasses for the first time and putting them on and how sharp everything looked and how the leaves on the trees, everything looked so sharp and clear. It was like going from an old television to high definition. It was, it was stunning how clear and sharp everything was. And when I say it that way, it reminds me of this wonderful verse in Jacob chapter 4. Behold, my brethren, he that prophesieth, let him prophesy to the understanding of men. For the Spirit speaketh the truth and lieth not. Wherefore, it speaketh of things as they really are, and of things as they really will be. Wherefore, these things are manifested unto us plainly for the salvation of our souls. But behold, we are not alone witnesses, witnesses alone in these things, for God also spake them unto prophets of old. Okay, did you hear the extra word in there? The word is really. (laughs) I know that sometimes you think this is the way things are, but let me tell you the way things really are. And the Spirit speaketh of things as they really are. I know that many times I've gone to a church meeting or the temple or something with questions or issues or problems that were fuzzy in my mind. And when I get in the presence of a true spirit, of the Spirit of the Lord, suddenly things that are fuzzy become clear. And President Henry B. Eyring said once, don't be surprised if when you feel the Spirit, it's accompanied by what you feel is a rebuke, which I thought was fascinating. You ever felt the Spirit and felt scolded at the same time? And I have. And I thought, I I know what that feeling is. That's that things as they really are. When you sense the Spirit of the Lord is there and you start thinking things like, I need to stop doing this and I need to start doing this. And suddenly you see things as they really are. Like you just put on your high definition spiritual glasses. And it takes sometimes going deep, deep down and quieting all the noise around you, and really approaching it with a sense of humility. Could I be wrong about some of the things I'm doing, or my conclusions, or my excuses, and saying, what are things as they really are? That's, that's not easy to do, but that is the wonderful thing about having the Spirit. Here's Pilate saying, what is truth? Well, I'll tell you what truth is. Truth is things as they really are. And because we have the gift of the Holy Ghost, we have the opportunity to know what real truth is and to not be overcome by by error and by the philosophies of men. I think Pilate, when he said that, was, yeah, well, I've heard lots of versions of that. We don't have to, to give up on it. We know that the Spirit speaketh of things as they really are and as they really will be. Well, I hope this has been helpful for you today. I look forward to talking to you as we continue these little podcasts corresponding with Come Follow Me. 